Hi, I'm Michelle Fenton, and welcome to the Happy Texture Podcast. What would it take to develop resilient, sustainable communities? How do we design cities that support our collective happiness? Join me as my guests and I discuss how we can plan, implement, and foster places that allow us to flourish and grow. Thank you, Marlana, for joining me on the Happy Texture podcast. Um, for our guests, we're here with Marlana Loves, a Feng Shui master in Vancouver, and I am really thrilled to be able to sit down with you. This is our second chat, and it's always been such a treat. Uh, even when I, I know that even when I leave you, that there's such a great energy that I bring with me, and I, I, I want to say that I appreciate that. Oh, you're very welcome. And um, I know we have a lot of really cool, interesting things to talk about today, so this is this is a real treat for Happy Texture, so thank you for your time. Oh, it's my privilege. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Um, well, when, we've, when I first saw you speak, you were speaking with uh, one of our premier architects uh, here in Vancouver, Jim Chang, mm-hmm. and you were talking about development um, in Vancouver, specifically one that he was working with, and you were working with him on that development. And I think it was the first time it occurred to me that we can bring a different um, knowledge and wisdom to designing urban spaces when I heard that talk. And so I thought, well, I'd love to have you on the podcast. And so it would be great to know how we got to this point where I was able to sit in an audience and see you speak on Feng Shui in such a big context, an urban context. Uh, Thank you. Let me actually just clarify how I came to talk with James Chang. So I got approached by the AIBC, the Architectural Institute, to speak and I said, yeah, that would be great. And then she said, do you know an architect who could speak with you? And I asked a few of the architects that I do work with, with developers. And I was not surprised that they were reluctant to be associated with a feng shui master. Hmm. So I got back to the AIBC and said, I don't have an architect. And they said, well, can we find you one? And I said, yeah, no problem. And so I get a call from James Chang. And I don't know who James Chang is. <laughs> And I get this call, this really friendly, lovely man on the phone, yes. and he I could tell he's interviewing me yes. to see, will he speak with me, right? Yes. And so he's, we, it, we talked an hour and a half, and, and as we go deeper, he says, I've worked with lots of feng shui masters from around you know the world on the many developments I've done. And I went, yeah, that's great. That's exciting. He says, but you know... I don't really know how it works. Can you tell me a little bit about what you know? And I start telling him about that I've been to China eight times and that I've studied with different masters, but I'm Vancouver born. So I'm not your, I'm Caucasian. I'm not your typical person at all you'd think would do feng shui. And then as we start talking, he actually says, wow, you're teaching me things that no one has ever taught me because the feng shui masters that I work with don't teach. Hmm. And he said, I'd be honored to speak with you. So Can you lovely. come to my office first yeah. and talk to my staff? Wow. So then I went to his office and he says, and why don't we integrate? Can you look at a few of the projects I've done and tell me what you think? And so that's what I was actually doing is we were talking about one, the Shangri-Las. So he's done the Shangri-Las. And, and so we talked a bit about that and he had photos to put in. And then we talked about this. I don't know if he actually put it up, this potential one that's coming up 
on BC Hydro or um, BC Transit property. And yeah, so anyways, that's how it came about. And he actually said to me, you do most of the talk and, and I'll be there to ask questions after or answer questions. Yes. And, and so there I was. He's very gracious that way. He he allows the energy to form as it will in the room. He's one of the most lovely, oh, so it, man, really. So then I asked him at the end, I said, can you tell me where you went to university, please? And he says, Harvard. And I went, okay. <laughs> You're in the big leagues now. I'm in the big leagues. And it was like really funny. And it was, he is super, you know, I, I'd like to say we're friends now. Great. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big thing to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you start on this journey to become a feng shui master? Well, I certainly didn't grow up thinking that's what I'm going to become. I came to, I was born into Vancouver to a Dutch Christian family, but I have always, my whole life had a sense of energy and curiosity mm. about life. And that has caused me to study different religions, different philosophies. And I even knew as a kid when I'd moved my furniture that the room's energy would change, that it affected my sleep, that Hmm. I could feel all that. And I didn't even know there was such a thing as feng shui. I just knew about energy. And I actually studied astrology and different metaphysics things too, because I was just so curious. And then at age 35, and prior to 35, I had three kids and I was working with uh people with mental illness and drug and alcohol problems. So I was more of a social worker doing supported housing Mm -hmm. and just studying all these things on the side. And then at age 35, I came across a classical feng shui book. And the thing that it said in the book was there's three factors that control our life, and they call it heaven, earth, and man, chi, chi being a word for energy. And heaven chi is the energy you're born with. It's like a blueprint of energy we all have. It, It kind of show it's you can read in that your personality and kind of I like to use what type of seed are you and where what season are you in is the best metaphor yeah and then 33% is where you live just like a seed needs a good garden Mm -hmm. the garden determines how the seed flourishes and 33% is what you actually do we have consciousness so are we lazy do we try are we doing drugs you know you can influence your life with those three factors. And that so resonated with me, that whole philosophy that I was kind of hooked and needed to learn more. And I was in a position that I could start traveling the world where I could find feng shui masters. So I actually went to New York first. This is in the late 90s. And then I went to Europe to find English-speaking Chinese masters. And then I started going to China. And, uh, and then I found a teacher in San Francisco. And so for the first Till 2004, really it was, I thought it would be part-time. Mm-hmm. And then, but because I was every year putting time with my holidays into doing these things, you become an expert. Mm-hmm. And then people started asking me to teach. Yeah. And I do believe in destiny in the sense that we all have a calling. I can see this now when I look at people's charts and I can see this even in the houses we choose to live in, that there is part of us that is being that we have a potential. Each of us has a potential. And I see clearly now this is my destiny. Yeah. And the universe has just really supported me to be a teacher and consultant in this. And I work full-time here in Vancouver, but I get to travel internationally as well still. And I'm really blessed. Yeah. You know, I think that the that idea of uh, the destiny is in, is an interesting one because often I think most of us feel feel that pull, but we mm-hmm. don't know what to do about it. Or sometimes the pull is so uh, below the surface that we don't actually spend the time to access it. So, and then it just takes one moment 
you know, to click it on. I'm really blessed in that, you know, just as I start having the thought that what should I be doing, I had actually a person who'd taken a class with me, a developer, say, you should write a book. This is so important. I'll pay for you to write the book. And he wrote a check for $50,000. Wow. And so then I was like, okay, I guess I could see the path. Yes. Right? It was like, okay, now I really get. And and I think many of us have those types of opportunities, yeah. but we were too fearful to, to actually take them. Yes. Right? Yeah, and well, to, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it does take, it does take some fearlessness. Mm-hmm. Well, not fearlessness, I guess courage comes first and then fearlessness comes after with much practice. But mm-hmm. um, it does take some courage to step out of a path that you've, you're building as opposed to the path that was chosen or that right. can be chosen. Absolutely. Right? So because you're invested in that path that you're building. It is scary. I'm yes. not going to tell you this has been at all easy. It hasn't. Mm-hmm. But it's fulfilling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, well, when we talked the last time, and certainly at that lecture, you you had very um, interesting ideas of how Vancouver was specifically set up um, as a whole, as a whole, uh, ge- geographically. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if we can talk a little bit about that, because Vancouver is a very special place, but and we can all feel it. Yes. But it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, there's no coincidence that there's such a huge Asian population living mm-hmm. here, right? And our economy has really been relatively quite stable compared to the rest of the world. Here, you know, like mm-hmm. we haven't had the type of fluctuations in real estate and business the way even Eastern or Middle Canada has had. That's true. Right? Yeah. Like, so, so the, the philosophy behind feng shui is, um, that look, 70% of the energy of any building is determined by location. Hmm. So it's that's not, a sizable amount. That's a sizable amount. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So you take the building I'm living in and you put it in the heart of downtown and it's going to be completely different energy. And you put it up on a mountain and it's going to have completely different energy. And the second I say that, people go, oh, yeah, that makes some sense. Right. right. Yeah. So it's not the building. It's hmm. actually first the location. So Vancouver on a macro um, has beautiful mountains and beautiful water. And then this huge, what we call in feng shui, beautiful water. Why is it beautiful? Because it's actually quite flat. It's not, um, it's not like the, on the outer side of the island where there's huge waves and, and those yeah. wind. Mm-hmm. We're quite protected in here, mm-hmm. right? And so there's, uh, and wind and water is technically what feng shui translates into. And that phrase comes from as chi travels along the mountains and stops at the water's edge, wind moving, that's where the energy collects. So we have these massive mountains coming into Vancouver, ranges of them. So there's energy traveling through all these mountains. And then we have these beautiful water edges and the chi stops and it collects here in the Fraser Valley. Hmm. And so the mountains form a circle around the whole valley. There's the island holding in the chi. And so the on a very macro level, the embrace of the mountains. And this is a perfect example of yin and yang. So mountains are yin, flat land and water is yang. And when they're in balance or in good proportion, it's like fertility occurs. And so Vancouver has this fertile energy. Now it doesn't have the fertile energy, say that Silicon Valley has or things like that. Like we don't 
produce billionaires the way right. they do. So when I went to China on one of my very first trips and toured several cities with different masters, the masters would point at different mountain features and say, because of that mountain, we have here Olympic prize winners. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and yeah. because of that mountain, we have generals. Or because so there's of a direct this, correlation. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, because of that mountain, we have scholars. And I was like, okay, I want to know how you can look <laughs> at land and, and see that. Mm -hmm. And I now know how you can look at land and see that. And so that took many trips into China. It's actually learning how to read the shapes of the land, the directions it is to the water. Um, and, and the ancient feng shui masters would determine where the palaces would get built or where the governments would get built because it was felt if the leaders had good feng shui, the country would have peace. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, then so we also talked a little bit about energy of Vancouver in particular, uh, this energy that collects into the shoreline. Yes. What primarily is that energy made up of? Oh, it's a good we, question. You know, yeah, you know, it's actually what happens. There's energy everywhere. The thing is, where does it stop? Okay. So, like for instance, the British properties is the highest concentration of high-end properties in one place in Vancouver, and the uh, and here actually on the west side as well along the water, there's a ridge. And there's lots of high-end properties in this area as well. They're two of the higher price points. Mm -hmm. And in the presentation, when I talk to architects and, and land developers and things, one of the things that I try to say is there's a reason why certain areas have double the value in housing than others. And it's because there's more chi present. And it's not just because it's near the water. Because if that was case, then White Rock would have the same value. That's true. Yeah. And White Rock does not have the same value. Mm -hmm. Right, it's, mm -hmm. it, and part of the reason there is it's windier, and the forms the, there's a cliff, and it's there's just some different features there, and not that it's not beautiful, but each of those has, and or Richmond would also have but, more yeah. land value along the water, mm -hmm. and um, it doesn't. So there's there's it's the combination of the way the mountains are shaped, and the water. Um, there's two types of main ways of doing feng shui. The first one is looking at the what you see, physically see. And then there's a part that's invisible. <laughs> and I like to call that magnetics. Okay. Right? Because mm -hmm. north is different than south. Yes. The magnetically. Light, yeah. yeah. Magnetically plus the light. Yeah. And feng shui actually has several schools, classical schools attached to it, that use formula. And with formula, and these are hundreds of years old, um, we can determine by the direction a building faces, the location of a mountain in what location, and things like that. It tells you about the blueprint of the property. Mm -hmm. And so it's my training has taken me to that level where we're... So where chi, so the, the direction of the water and the direction of the mountain all play into that as well. Interesting. Like, really interesting. I, I, I find this... The fact that you're being called by lots of developers in the city is actually quite promising because one of the things that we see in the city is the hurry to put up a building regardless or not regard the ground plane or the public realm. And so 
perhaps Feng Shui could start to inform good and bad design. I don't know. <laughs> yes, there are. I work a lot with Lark Group in Surrey, and they've done all the city centers near Surrey General, and they build hospitals across the country, which they fly me to to, the, to look at the land before they purchase. Hmm. And I've also looked at, they build care facilities. And, and to look at the care facilities, the big thing with the care facility is if the staff is really happily supported, then of course all the people in the care facility will be mm-hmm. happily supported, right? It's like, and so he really understands that. Yet, though, there is always a discussion of, well, we can only have this much square footage because, uh, you know, I have to sell this much. And, and he has yeah. people on the boards. My dream is that it's a really important thing for a place to have good energy is that there's lots of open space for energy to flow. Right. Like in Europe, there's the squares. Yes. And, and more, and there's park space and, and there's those types of things. And it's really important that we, in order for places to be safer and to support people, that we continue to allow for that type of thing. And what's happening more and more in the urban environments is that there's shorter setbacks. Yes. Shorter setbacks, smaller foyers, yes. just squeeze, we're squeezing the energy. And the more we're squeezing the energy, the bigger impact it's having on people's overall well-being. They're still making money, mm-hmm. but the well-being and, the, and the, the, the happiness in marriage, the happiness in relationships and things like that, I see as a direct correlation to some of the spaces that are now being designed. And yes, some of them are open to... Um, doing things differently, but not even, I still would like it to grow more. Right. Because I really think if people understood that, they would choose differently. Yeah, well, I think there's two two things that come at this, right? Where yeah. the, the, the people who are developing these properties are looking for the highest uh, output, our highest return. Um, but then, you know, the more we are educated as buyers, right. the market starts to shift in the direction of better right. design and more considered design. Right. Yes. So I don't know. Do we have a long way to go with that one? <laughs> Are you seeing a shift right now in in people being educated enough about about space, about openness, that they're they're making these informed decisions? I think we're just at that place that people are aware that they need to start thinking about it. Mm -hmm. There's been, you know, because our economy has been growing, growing, like when things are growing, people don't really think too much. That's right. Right? That's right. Oh, yeah, we don't need to fix what's, we just need to get more housing out there. And now, you know, um, this year, the energy is different for various reasons. And so people are... I, I can feel that inside people now, the question's being asked, is this consciously correct? Right. You know, am I, yes. it, it, you know, there's a bit of a disturbance now happening mm-hmm. inside people. And I think it's enough that even the fact that you and I are talking and this is happening, that it's changing the question. And, and it's, I'm so, I was so excited to meet you and to hear that you're doing this because just asking the question, you know, changes it. My book is called, Do You See What I See? Mm-hmm. Because my daughter, who's an engineer, she was telling me years ago, Mom, I see everything as physics. And as she said that, I thought, oh, I see everything as yin and yang. <laughs> right? Like just everything. Yes. And then I was like, if you understood yin and yang mm-hmm. and how we need yin chi in the proper proportion to support people and relationships and how we need yang chi to support opportunities. And when it's in balance, then things flow. Yeah we would do things differently. Yes. Right. Well, it's interesting that you talk about this awareness because even in my own um, 
journey through building a business, one of the things I'm looking to do is build a practice that's a little bit more aware, a little bit more conscious, not just of how we work, but the work we put out there and what it, the energy of that work and how it supports the people that eventually use the space. So in our, in our work, we have our client, but you know, we try to say, we try to um, impress upon that client that if we support the people who you're actually building this for, we're actually supporting your success. And so it is cyclical and it is that yin and yang that have to actually go together. And they're not quite opposing ideas. As I think when you see the way development happened in Vancouver, there's this zero sum, yeah. uh, you know, this idea that if you, you can't have this with and have that as well. It I, has to be. I'm ex- excited as you say that because I can see the next time I need an architect to speak with me, it'll be you. <laughs> Right. Because, you know, and and that I I have clients who ask me for architects. Right. And it's to be even just to be open to the discussion Mm -hmm. is already a big, you know, step. And Kirk Fisher, for sure, he's very open. He actually says Mm -hmm. is a video on my website. You don't build a building without water. Mm -hmm. He would never build a building without feng shui. Mm. That's how important it is to him. So I'm so lucky that that he's open to that and and that we're and he builds hospitals right yes. and care facilities yeah. and things like that there's and, a huge need for yeah yeah for that energy to be there yes yeah. and 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 he's willing to compromise some of the square footage of retail space mm-hmm. or things in order to have larger foyers and larger hallways and things because he gets that the overall success of the building will improve with that yes right and you know we i think we have to stop thinking one of those things that we we tend to rally around is the sense of lack, right? Like if we if we don't if we don't give up that square footage, we'll have more money, we'll have more resources. But when you talk about this idea of but the overall is not being paid attention to, and what does that overall look right. like? Well um, he, he told me with one that he just recently put together that the square footage on this particular building as it sold on the ground floor went for 30% more than they were thinking. Mm-hmm. So he made the money. That's right. Right? Yeah. So it went more than market value. And I said, yeah, because people even on a plan can feel it and it, you know, works. Yeah. So when I'm, I'm talking to you I, and I'm thinking about this whole idea of this, this compression of space uh, mm-hmm. and this idea of lack, if we don't maximize every square footage for a purpose, quote unquote, mm-hmm. then we're missing out on something. Is there, what's the disconnect in, in development that you see here? And, and how can we switch that disconnect between providing better design spaces that support our well-being? Yeah. This is where a little bit of old Eastern philosophy needs to come in versus, you know, what there has happening there as well. I think that North America defines success as always greater returns. Mm-hmm. And, and returns in terms financially, of money. usually, yeah. right? Like you're, you're successful, you know, if you had a 30% markup that year, you're successful, like, you know, and it's like, we're not even happy with 10 anymore. It has to be at least right. 30, yes. right? And um, we're not looking at, and actually we are, there are discussions happening. I took a university course a couple of years ago on the um, discussion of happiness and consciousness in the workplace, mm-hmm. you know, so that did happen. And, and there are places like Whole Foods and places like LinkedIn and things like that that are trying to 
look at not just making money and also supporting staff and things like that. But I don't know if they've incorporated feng shui, you know, yes. because if 33% of your life is also affected by feng shui, to me, it should be all part of the equation, yes. right? Yeah. And so the lack, I think, comes from just a, a paradigm that we're caught in and not looking at. Yeah. I just think, you know, since, and I think many of us are born with lack programs coming with through parents that have been through wars, right. parents that yeah. have yeah. struggled, um, you know, that in intergenerational, intergenerational, trauma, yeah. as they say. And yeah. if you read Think and Grow Rich, it yeah. actually says it's easier to be rich if you were born into a rich family. Yes. Because you actually have the vibration that it's possible. It's in your subconscious. Mm-hmm. Whereas most money in North America is new money. Yeah. And if you look at old money, they're the estates yes. with lots of space. Right. They're not yeah. living in these cramped little things. Yeah. And so new money doesn't actually quite, hasn't all caught up with how to feel relaxed with it. Yeah. And, and the energy of creating feng shui where you're relaxed and have trust is different mm-hmm. than small cramped spaces. Yes. And I'm trying to get people into their bodies and out of their head so they can actually experience yeah. this. And I have lots of clients who do that because they understand that they need a house that supports them. So their marriage mm-hmm. is more stable. Yeah. Their health is more stable. And, you know, traditionally, the Chinese, they stay married. They support their families. Mm-hmm. There's, There's a, a very strong culture of family oh, support. Yeah. And, they under, and somebody in the family knows how to use feng shui enough that they live in places that support that. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, if only we can translate that to how we design and build cities, not just exactly or, or yes. apartments. Yes, you know the 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 whole. I mean, one of the reasons I was excited to talk to you as a, a as a designer, as an architect, is we're called to build buildings, and in some cases, urban spaces. And if there can be that dialogue that gets started in the beginning, what is what does this do for the well-being of the people that will inhabit right. it? Yes. And also the conversation about return and how those two things can support right. each other. Yes. Um, I, I think we have an amazing opportunity to build one of the best cities in the world. hundred percent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And to just have, uh, it would be awesome to have an open minded discussion mm-hmm. with city planners yes and and the larger scale developers with just education mm-hmm. you know and and an awareness of what is happening and why you know in in uh, um, I have a friend in Mexico who's a one a, as trained a feng shui consultant as my, me and the developer that she's been working with there for 10 years when she originally started with him was only six employees but now they're building cities in Mexico, like literally 30,000 units of housing with hospitals and a university and things like that. And he's now the top and and they're in the lower end. But what they're doing is they're taking the energy of that area and how they're building it is making it higher so that people can come in at entry level and then it'll take them to the next level. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that it supports people. So, you know, it is happening. Yes. It's uh, just, you know, more, it's a, in select areas. Yes. Well, I think it comes back to the idea of awareness, you know, mm-hmm. and, and awareness is, a, is one of those words that gets thrown around a lot these days. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm okay with that because as long as we're moving in that direction, right. you know, these yeah. things always get a little bit excitable in the beginning and then people start to actually feel it and experience it as opposed to intellectualize it. So that's 
kind of my my agenda for the for this particular podcast. For you, you know? Yeah, great. Um, so we talked a little bit about how um, feng shui can start to inform how we design cities. What's the next step in terms of introducing this idea to city planners, people who actually build cities? Where where is the process in that? From the idea that feng shui is good, getting education is there. Is there a Actually, I should introduce you to, um, I understand that there are some municipalities in the greater Vancouver area that do have think tanks that are looking at their growth. And I think Surrey is actually one of them. Hmm. And we should look into that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and see, and people fly in for that. So it's almost and as if you need a model. A but I don't think feng shui, I, I know feng shui hasn't been part of that discussion yet. And I've been approached and I just... It just hasn't happened, but mm-hmm. I know there are places that are experiencing huge growth and, and it just needs to be, you know, and I think awareness is happening. My developers are starting to ask for it. And obviously, you know, we're doing this, but it would take that, you know, mm-hmm. where, where cities are, how do we grow and how do we grow consciously? And yes. I think actually, you know, I don't love the word consciousness, but it's again, this kind of like yes. awareness, right? It gets thrown around a lot. Yeah. But I think people are feeling a pull. Yes. Right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, how and I maybe let's say come from our heart instead of our mind or both. Mm-hmm. You know? And well the mind is useful when we don't overuse it. <laughs> Actually I have a really good metaphor too, but is that feng shui is about connecting to energy. Mm-hmm. Which means as humans, we actually have to be part of that process to connect back. Okay. Right. And that's the thing It's like asking. And I think what's happened a lot is we've stopped connecting. Mm -hmm. And so if if people are actually open to connecting, then you will actually see the world differently. Right. So I want to ask a a roundabout question here because I'm interested in the idea. If, if we are starting to feel disconnected, I wonder if space has something to do with that. Absolutely. Um, I see a direct uh, correlation. Yes. With the apartment buildings, the size, the glass, the way they're, the shapes of them. Hmm. Um, and, um, how more and more we're going into our computers and our phones as some type of connection. Like you'll even see people in restaurants with phones not right. talking. Yes. People are not connecting anymore because we're, we're in a trance, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yes, there is a direct correlation to where people are living. Where I see homes where the family has ha- children that are going to university, are educated, are connecting with mom and dad, supporting, and the marriage is strong, the feng shui is different than a place where there's divorced parents and um, mm-hmm. kids that are struggling and doing those types of things. Yeah. And it, it, it's, um, yeah, it, the energy is very different. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm hoping that our audience hearing this will either be planners themselves and, and developers, but also just the average person mm-hmm. who can start demanding or even start paying attention to, mm-hmm. you know, if you go to even rent a place, what does that look like? Right. And, and, and right. start informing maybe from the bottom up if the top down isn't isn't yes. getting isn't meeting there meeting the needs you know perhaps absolutely perhaps that's where the pressure comes from right and and educate yourself mm-hmm. right like i i you know at a minimum i have tons of blogs 
that I've written in the past yeah. on my website. And then I do one day classes like change your space, change your life. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to invest into my three yeah, week right. program. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you could just start learning how about what energy, like, like the, um, actually I even have a online course live with purpose. It's just one hour. And that one hour is similar to the talk that I gave you guys mm-hmm. that you could ju- it just see. And it, then it, things you can do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think it's, it's one of those things I've, I've come to be interested in over the years. Uh, well, not, I wouldn't say over the years, probably the last year and a half. I attribute it to being middle aged, but you know, I think this, this energy of becoming a little bit more aware and living in the body as opposed to living in the mind, um, starts to really inform how you present or how you put, put the, put your experience together, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. and being able to experience something as opposed to intellectualize it. Um, one of the things I, I'm starting to reflect on is that we need space to reflect. Oh, we need space to reflect. Um, yes. So we, we don't just need space to, you know, have activities and have parties. Mm-hmm. We also need space to reflect and that space needs to have a certain kind of energy mm-hmm. and be supported by the other spaces as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would be, it'd be great to see that starting to reflect in the buildings that we design as architects mm-hmm. in the cities that we plan as urbanists and, and planners. And even in the policies that we, we start to, um, to develop as politicians and as policymakers in our city about what is, uh, in the best interests of people's well-being. I think you're a very sensitive person, um, which makes you a great architect because you're observing. And I think to be observant and actually take in what you're seeing is the first step of change in that uh, people will often say to me, do you think this has good feng shui? Right? I'll go to their house. And then my question is actually, how's your life? Hmm. Are you getting opportunities? Yeah. Are you happily in a relationship? How's your health? Like, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Because good feng shui is actually reflected by how's your life. Yes. It's not about the marble and it's right. not about the moldings. Yeah. Right? It's not about any of that. Yeah. It's about how are you? And yes, there are other factors, but if you've been in a house for a while, it's like you have an idea, like, is the house, and again, use the analogy of a garden. How is that seed growing in that garden? Mm-hmm. Is it thriving? Are you thriving? Yeah. And just by asking that question, um, starts then being into, you're now interacting with your environment in a different way. Yeah. And once we get kind of disturbed enough, we'll make some changes. Yes. That's a great, great way to end. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. For more information on this or any other episodes of the Happy Texture podcast, you can find us at happytexture.com. H-A-P-P-I-T-E-C-T-U-R-E dot com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Cora Architecture and Interiors. Designing places for being. Post-production by Vanessa Hennessy. Hennessy.